Well, hello there. You're listening to Punks in Pubs. This is Andrew, drummer for DC-based band Dave Eats Mud, and I'm hijacking the start of this episode to share some brand new music. We just released our self-titled EP, and this is the opening track, Fox Din Fun Times. Super chuffed to have Liam include this in the episode, so thank you, Liam. If you guys want to follow us, we are streaming on Spotify, we're on Bandcamp, if you want to be friends, you can look for us, David Smud, on Facebook and Instagram. Here's our track, Foxton Fun Times. Enjoy. I'm Dom from Phantom Brewing Co. and you're listening to the Punks in Pubs podcast. Before today's episode, we wanted to invite you to the first ever Hot Punk Festival. Hosting several independent venues across the country, there'll be live bands, DJs or karaoke all playing the best pop punk from years gone by. You'll be able to get your hands on our 5% Hazy Pale, Feeling This, as well as other beers brewed with a nod to our favourite genre. Head to our social media at Phantom Brew Co. or at hop underscore punk underscore festival to find a participating venue near you. Or if you're a venue that's interested in taking part, you can also reach us on social media. So join us on February the 25th to 26th as we celebrate the best of craft beer and pop punk at Hot Punk Festival. (laughs) 
Hello and welcome to this, the first Punks in Pubs of the new year. My name is Liam Bird and I hope this finds you in good spirits. Some news to kick off the new year. This will most likely be the last year of the podcast. It's a, it's a podcast that I've created since 2018, but over those years a lot have changed and I, and I can't give the podcast the attention it needs. I also like the idea, if I'm honest, of stopping with the podcast at its peak regarding listenership and, and people uh, actually giving a shit about the podcast. Very Radio 1 punk rock show, Mike Davies uh, kind of vibe. Uh, this isn't something to be sad about. This is something to celebrate because we're going to be going out if I do decide to give it up. Uh, <laughs> we are going to be going out with some fantastic interviews over this next 12 months. I want to make them as most as fun, enjoyable and insightful audio from some of my favorite and your favorite people in the world of punk rock. I'm sure there will also be a couple who you will fucking hate as well. But uh, you can you can skip them or hate listen. I don't care as long as you subscribe and listen to it. Just just listen. I don't care if you actually pay attention. Uh, my guest, <laughs> I do care. Do do listen. My guest is the guitarist and songwriter for one of the, well, not only the the biggest one of the biggest punk rock bands, but rock in general. Uh, his name is Zach Blair, and the band is Rise Against. I spoke to Zach back in November on the day England played Iran in the World Cup. I'm telling you this because it's relevant to the start of our chat, as you'll hear in a second. We, of course, talk about Rise Against, but we also talk about, uh, we actually spend quite a lot of the time, actually, talking about the metal legends that is Gwar, a band that Zach used to be a part of and how a person who is straight edge can survive in a band that has been tormented with drug abuse and death. Uh, cheering. We also touch on his time growing up in a small town that's left a bit of a chip in his shoulder, kind of like myself. And I uh, ask him uh, for his views on the Ticketmaster monopoly that is uh, taking hold of the music scene, plus a lot, lot more. I'll be back after my chat if you're willing to give me a bit more of your time. But before that, there's this. This is my chat with Zach Blair of Rise Against. We are the nowhere generation. We are the kids that no one wants. We are a credible threat to the rules you set. Across to be alarmed. We are not the names that we've been given. We speak a language you don't know. We are the nowhere generation.
whole lot of shit happening with like they were going to wear the LGBTQ armbands. Yeah, and now England were going to wear, well, the home nations are going to wear One Love, which is a bit of a cop out instead of wearing rainbow laces. Sure. So FIFA came out yesterday and said, any, so where's by the captain? If the captain comes out, it's going to get a yellow card straight away. If you get a yellow card, you're only one card from getting sent off. If you're playing, I don't know, there's three games and table stages. Okay. You get, you get three yellow cards. You suspended for the next game. No shit. So essentially, you wait for a saying, you, you pick or choose. Like, you either choose equality or you choose your best player. It's fucked up. Yeah, it's really fucked up. So we'll, we'll crack on. Hello, Zach. How are you, pal? We're- I'm really good. I'm good. Thank you. <laughs> so we're in the barrels of Brixton Academy. Yes. Uh, we're in a very echoey room, but that's okay. We're in a very echoey room. Yeah, we've been here a lot. A lot, a lot. It seems like, you know, we come over here, we always kind of do the academies, yeah. you know? Which is great. I mean, they're great places, great rooms. It's an institution here in England. I can't count how many DVDs and live concerts I've seen from one of these places, whether it's the Manchester. I actually flew over to the Manchester Academy to go see the Stranglers because they were doing the black and white album. Yeah, yeah, these places mean a lot. So it's always always cool to come back. Well, the Brixton one in particular has got a weird kind of stage design around it. It really does. It's a Mexican-y kind of vibe. And I don't know why. I don't know if there's any culture to it, but it's just weird. Yeah, it's kind of, yeah. Cool. Yeah, it is. And fun. it's a weird kind of shallow room. There's a, it's yeah. a big room, but then it's kind of, yeah. As I was saying, as you came in, I've been watching the, the World Cup. Yeah. Uh, USA play Wales later. Do you give a fuck about sport? Not even Not at all. Nah. I don't. I, it, it never. <sighs> no. That size says it all. Like, yeah. I don't know anything. I don't. You know, I, I only was ever interested in music. Yeah. And, and that's not even to be like, oh, I'm so cool. It, it's just the only thing that interested me. I went from playing with action figures like G.I. Joe's to playing guitar. And that's my father was a radio DJ. Yes. Uh, he had a all night like classic rock request hour. And that's what he did my whole life. And so he would bring records home and talk to me about the bands and the history of bands, you know, and, and, and Black Sabbath and whoever else, you know, he was really into like heavy rock music too. And, um, I don't know. I don't know if it was a thing like I wanted to impress my dad or if I just had his taste, you know, through DNA or whatever, but it's all that ever interested me. And sports, I just, it, it would have, I think getting into sports would have taken away from my, my attention away from, from music and stuff. And I do know people, there's people, you know, in our band that love sports, our singer Tim loves sports, our drummer Barnes loves sports. I just never did. So I, this is a massive stereotype there, but you grew up in a town called Sherman, Texas. Yes, I did. And I guess, well, for me- You've done your homework. I have. The stereotype in Texas is guns, religion, and sports. So how did That's you grow up- too far off. So I, I, like, you must've been quite a black sheep then, like I was, growing up in that uh, area. It was awful. Yeah. I mean, not, not what was me, but, but, but I had long hair and I wore punk and metal shirts. And- a town that is about 45 minutes north of Dallas, at least in Texas, you know, anywhere you're going to have the countryside and the Hicks and the, you know, the backwoods, whatever. And at least in Texas, we have majors. We have Dallas, we have Houston, we have Austin, San Antonio. Um, You have major cities where there's culture and there's art and there's, you know, music scene. People think that it's all, you know, cowboy hats and people ride horses and carry six guns and all that shit. And that's could not be further from the truth. However, it is a red state. And in the States, that means a Republican, Christian, conservative, uh, racist. So all those rumors are true. And the town I'm from was definitely no exception. So my brother and I, my brother's also a professional musician. He plays in a band called the Toadies. We grew up fighting, you know, we got in fights every week. 
my brother got in a fight. I got in a fight because we got called names. We didn't fit in. We weren't Christian. Our parents didn't raise us religious. We were as against the grain as you could be. You know, we hated sports. We had long hair. I, we wore, I wore skinny jeans, you know, whatever. Like we, we, we got named called every name. We were satanic. We were, you know, we were everything. I'm glad I got raised in a community like that because I got taught the uh, valuable lesson of being an individual. There was no fighting it. You know, I wasn't going to try to fit in with these fucking people, but it did give me this sort of general disdain for like the common, you know, for the every man, you know, yeah. and and, 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 and I had to sort of get over that. I had to get that shit behind me. It took therapy and all kinds of stuff. So eventually we gravitated toward Dallas, which was at least a major city. And then I moved to Austin, Texas. So, I mean, the grand trajectory, I still live in Texas. Yeah. I just moved to a very liberal sort of open-minded community. You, know? so you kind of touched on, obviously, your dad was was a DJ and he's playing all these amazing music. But I mean, like a parent's kind of job is that they want their kids to fit in and they want them yeah. to be safe and want them to be secure. What, what did your parents do then? Because clearly you want to kind of push you to push your kind of alternative boundaries, but also want to keep you secure and safe. Right. They were so financially up against it constantly and they were both from that community they were yeah. like the two weirdo outcasts from that community that sort of met my dad was from an even smaller town called van alstein that's about 15 20 minutes away from sherman and you want to talk about like real country like real texas i don't know how this like hippie biker classic acid rock metal loving you know he, he had long hair he wore sunglasses a lot of times he was blind in one eye you know this freak of nature like was from all that um, but I think they, they wanted to raise us in a different community. You know, they knew we were kids that, you know, we started playing guitar and bass very early on. I think they knew that they would have, we would have thrived in another community as a still, we flunked out of school cause we just, you know, we fucking hated school. Yeah. Um, they just did not have the means to get us out. They got married very, very early, young. And uh, my mother was just out of high school. So they were just never able to get a leg up. He was a radio DJ. She was a florist. Neither one of them made any money. We grew up in apartment complexes, which I guess over here would be uh, blocks, you know, yeah. like like block, block buildings. Uh, we grew up in that. Yeah. And so uh, government funded and all that shit. Uh, so we just, they could just never get a leg up. My mother still lives there. Yeah. You know, she refused to move. And then there's that too. With small towns, you sort of get the blinders and, you don't see a bigger picture. You don't really know that there's anything else out there. So I, I grew up in a small town called Newark in Nottinghamshire, and it kind of sounds like the same thing. Whereabouts? If you if you leave, people think, "Oh, the arrogance of the man leaving Newark. Sure. Like, how dare he? Do you think he's bigger than that?" I like, and and that kind of I, I've read interviews where you've spoken about having that chip in your shoulder. Yeah, and that chip in your shoulder seemed to have driven you to to improve your quality of life and and how you want to succeed in the, yeah. the industry you've gone in. Even though I look back in my time in Newark as, as fucking horrible, I hated it, I got bullied, but sure. it made me who I am. So I, part of it, I'm kind of proud of actually. Right. I, I had a rough upbringing, but it's what's made me me. I wonder if that's the same for you. It uh, 100% is. And that's that's a great analogy uh, or, or observation. I think if I had grown up in, say, Dallas or even Austin, Texas, I might not have had the drive hmm. to get where I am and to keep pushing myself. You know, I might have gotten into a band and then like, oh, this is good, you know. You see those people that were content. I was never content, you know, until like I, I wanted out of that town so bad. I didn't, I hoped all those people thought, what you, you know, like, mm. oh, who does he think? I hope they fucking hated me, you know. Uh, I was going to show all of them. And I did carry that chip on my shoulder, uh, probably an unhealthy amount, you know. And, and 
I had to get over. It was something I had to kind of leave behind and be able to go back to that community and go, okay, this is fine. Uh, I try. It's a struggle though, you know, because yeah. I, I can't, it's hard to forget that shit, but I wouldn't trade it for the world because I do think it, like I said, I do think it it is why I persevered and why I kept just not settling. You know, yeah. I, I had opportunities and things were happening and ah, no, this could be better. You know, I, I joined the band Guar. I was in Guar for a long time. For most people, that would have been it. Yeah. And I, I just wanted, I wanted better, you know, a singer was my drug addict and, you know, things like that were happening. So I was like, I think I can do better than this. I know it was no, it was complete ignorance, you know, it was complete, like reckless abandon and youth, <laughs> yeah. but it was from having, being in Sherman growing up there and going, I did it once I can do it again, you know? And within a few years I joined Rise Against, you know? So it's, it, it was probably against conventional wisdom really, you know, but yeah. So I, I've also heard in interviews you talk about actually your passion is kind of metal. You really love metal. I do love metal. So so was it kind of when you came to punk, was it thrash there was that crossover or was he, your brother bringing punk into your life? It, you know, he's only 19 months older than me. So we were like very much peers, like best yeah. friends. Um, again, being in Texas, we weren't – in the States, you have the coasts. So in, in the East Coast, you have New York hardcore up in New York. You have death metal from Florida. You have, you know – you have these genres and these specific, you know, in California, you had the California punk scene and, you know, in uh, say San Francisco, you had the thrash metal, mm -hmm. uh, Bay Area thrash metal. Well, in Texas, we just got what we could get. And if it was fast and aggressive and pissed off and cussed and was against, you know, was going to piss people off and have ups and crosses or, you know, fuck Reagan or whatever it might be. I was all in. Because again, I wanted to be an embodiment of a middle finger. Yeah. I hated that community so much. So I got Slayer, Reign of Blood the same day I got Black Flag, My War. You know what I mean? I didn't have the sort of benefit of aligning myself to some scene. I just got it all. And that happened to be, because I'm 40, I'll be 49, uh, December 26th, um, the sort of precipice of the crossover scene, like DRI, where it was like thrash and, you know, like metal and punk, you know, and all the metal bands, like, you know, uh, the Slayer guys were dead Kennedy stickers on their guitars. So it was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's all the same thing. It's all the same thing. Um, so we pretty much got into punk at the same time. And I loved that because I would, we would literally listen to, you know, Ride the Lightning by Metallica and the Descendants Milo Goes to College within, you know, uh, 10 minutes of each yeah. other. Uh, that was just our, our thing. So my brother and I were simultaneously playing in like a hardcore band, just with the other two guys we could find in our community that liked that music and a thrash metal band called harm's way with a Z um, <laughs> that did like creator covers. Yeah. You know, so for me, it was all one and the same. So I, I would have been, I was learning both styles. You know what I mean? Uh, we had a band called hackfish when we were kids and that band, we just wanted to be the descendants. And those guys, Bill and Stefan, um, ended up producing our records. You know, we were lucky enough to sort of punish them when they'd come through Dallas. And we'd look, let us open for you. But, you know, right after Hackfish, I've joined Guar. You know, I would have been just as happy in either style. Um, and Hackfish ended up touring with no effects and face-to-face -face and rants and all the, like, the punk bands of the time. Even though we were from Texas and we just didn't know shit about any of that. You know, we just wanted to rip off the descendant. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, so it's been this unique perspective. I never sort of wanted to align myself too much with any one 
scene. And as a musician, I kind of always wanted to push myself as well. So how was it then getting in the van for the first time with Hagfish and kind of leaving your kind of, well, leaving Texas and then yeah. going, discovering how other communities, punk communities live? Were you kind of like, oh, I, I've missed this. I wish I had this. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It was like finding your tribe, you know. It was, you know what it was? It was that overwhelming feeling of I'm right. You know, I was, I was right. Fuck all you people. Yeah. I knew they were, I knew there were others out there. I just had to go find them. Yeah. You know, I had to get in a vehicle with my brother and our best friends and drive to them. And I knew they were out there. And when I was in Sherman getting my ass kicked and getting called every name he could, it's like, you know, fuck you people. Like I, I know I'm not, you know, maybe Mars is out there and I'm from Mars and I'll go find my people. And I did. We found this, you know, these this ever-stretching community are just, you know, you get a map and you drive to them. And then sure enough, here's a people that grew up the same way you did and was into the same stuff as you were. You'd stay on their floor. And then you drive to the next gig and you stay on their floor. I just loved it. You know, I, I still do. It's been over thir- almost 30 years now. Yeah. Right? I've never stopped doing this. I quit high school. Our dad, my brother and I, my, our dad died when I was uh, a senior in high school. I was going into my senior year and I quit. And, you know, Hackfish at the time was, we were doing pretty well. We were playing in Dallas. We had, you know, my, my mother was pretty strict, but we were going to Dallas every weekend. We had a gig every weekend. And I was just like, fuck it. This, I, I knew this is what I wanted to do. And I had my brother and we just left. We just left. I feel like I left then and I've never been back. <laughs> I was going to say, have you been back? Because like whenever I, because my mom also lives in, in my hometown of Newark. And when I go back, I feel physically queasy. Like I yeah. feel nervous about Absolutely. going back. I do too. Yeah. I do too. You can't go home. Mm. You can't go home. I feel like after leaving then, it was like that was, that really was, you know, in, in essence, leaving. You know, you can go back physically, yeah. you know, you can drive a car back and see my mother, but I'm never there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I, and I think that's okay. like getting in the van culture then like do you remember like a long drive she touring with other bands and everyone likes to give their wisdom sure. everyone goes this is what you need to do kid oh, like, always. like what's what's been the best and worst advice you've been given in the oh my god that's really good um because you're right I, I started this when, when i was a kid and i did get a lot of that yeah a lot of you know elder statesmen you need to do this it's always yeah. that you need I for sure need to. Like, yeah a lot, a lot of that. And I think early on, and I don't remember who gave it to me, but it was, it was the thing, it was that affirming thing where it was like, it affirmed what I felt, which was just find something you love to do, only do that and you'll be okay. Yeah. And 
I, I hadn't eloquently put those words together yet, although I felt that in my head and my soul. And it might even be a Chet Baker quote, to be honest with you. But somebody did verbalize that to me. And I don't remember who it was, but, but I remember it stuck with me. I even wrote it down back then like a piece of paper. And you said worst advice? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if something comes to mind, but I'm really sure it happened while I was in Guar. <laughs> Whatever that might have been. It, it must have been. I, you know, we, I, I had the benefit, the overwhelming joy and benefit of playing in that band with Dave Brocky, who was, who's now, you know, passed. And uh, unfortunately, but he was, you know, a comedian, a prophet, a historian, uh, and an all around complete crazy person, as you would say over here in Nutter, you know, and uh, in the best possible way. And I'm sure something he said was probably the worst advice <laughs> I ever had. Like then he would turn around and say the most brilliant things you could ever imagine, you know, and then being a, like a 24 year old kid around this like insane genius, it was it was overwhelming at all times. There never was a dull moment, you know. I would like to touch on other subject matters, but I know we're pushed for time. So I am going to hit war because it's such a unique band. Yes. I mean, it's been going since the mid 80s. Yes. You joined it, I think, in 1999. Everyone's excited about the millennium and you're you're touring in like a 60 pound suit. Yes. Like, a, how did you get that gig? And B, what was it like kind of playing in a band that everyone saw and, and like they're, they're kind of such a staple in, in, the, in the metal community, but could also be seen as kind of a joke as well? Yeah. You know, come to think of it, I think actually when I was in Guar, we played here. <laughs> here. Actually, I know we did. Uh, anyway. Um, so how did I get the gig? So Guar is from Richmond, Virginia, but Guar's bass player, a guy named Casey Orr, who has been in and out of the band for years. And now he's back, thankfully. Casey had been in a band called Rigor Mortis out of Dallas. And Rigor Mortis were like the thrash metal band from Dallas. They were signed to Capitol. They toured with, you know, all the bands we were listening to, Slayer, Death Angel, all these bands. And we loved them. We loved them. So we went and saw them open for, I believe it was Slayer on South of Heaven tour. Or, and met them, punished them. We were kids. My dad drove us to the show. Well, cut to my brother and I starting Hagfish. The rigor mortis guys were really into punk rock. They loved us. They would come to our gigs. So we became close friends. And we were always like just stoked. You know, I was like, that's rigor mortis. Well, Hagfish broke up in about 98. And the way my career works, it always just like chain smokes, you know, <laughs> off of each other. And I ran into Casey Orr. And he had joined, rigor mortis had broken up and he had joined Guar. Rigor, uh, like... Oh, the guitar player for Rigor Mortis had joined Ministry by this point. Ministry did some stuff with Guar. He had gotten his buddy into the guitar gig in Guar, who was a Dallas guy named Pete Lee. At, while he was in the band, they needed a bassist. He got his buddy, Casey Orr, from Guar. And then Pete got fired for doing drugs, which is a really hard thing to do in Guar, is get fired for doing <laughs> drugs. That is a copious amount of drugs. And Casey thought of me. He saw me out. We were just out. And he goes, hey, you know, we're auditioning guitar players. We need a guy. We got rid of Pete. And I was like, you know, I've been in Hagfish. We tried to sound like the Descendants, yeah. you know. He knew I loved thrash metal. And he knew that I loved his band. And I guess he saw something in me. And I was like, okay. He was like, dude, we'll fly out. You know, you're my choice. You're my pick to get an audition. So I was like, I'll audition for Guar. You know, I'll have a story. Like right now, I'd be able to go, dude, one time I auditioned for Guar. And I got the gig. 
I mean, I took it really seriously and Hackfish had broken up. I didn't have any, you know, I'd move, I tried to move to California to like find gigs to call in favors and stuff. I just washed out. I spent all my money. I was there for like two or three months sleeping on a friend's couch and had gone back to Dallas with my tail between my legs and got the gig. And it was just insane. You know, we toured a lot and made a great record together called Valance Has Arrived, which is like their return to form, their return to like thrash metal. And then Dave, our singer, had started doing like heavy, heavy drugs. And I, I just couldn't stick around for it. There is a documentary that just came out called This Is Guar. I don't know what it's available on over here. I know in the States, it's like AMC Plus and then Shudder is like a horror film yes. app. So, so it's, Shudder's over here as well. Okay, so, yeah. then it's on Shudder. And I was... Uh, lucky enough, I'm an executive producer on it. I scored it. I wrote a bunch of the music that kind of is is the theme music and all that stuff. And uh, so I still get to be a part of it all in you know increments. Like a few records ago, I got to go back. Uh, Kate, uh, Corey that replaced me uh, died unfortunately as well, and they've had a lot of death in that band. And I got to go back on a record called Battle Maximus and write with them again. And I played on half of it. And, you know, I was in. Rise Against, you know, touring of Rise Against. And I'd go over to Richmond and there I was in Guargan, you know. So we we still have this sort of, you know, relationship and and I consider myself very lucky. What was the second part of the question? Um, it was kind of like playing with all that kind of stuff on you. Like it must be I it mean, was, playing on stage best it, time. You had to learn how to play again. You know, it was like speaking in a different language because, you know, in my mask, I was a, the flattest Maximus character. There was cheekbones in the mask. So I couldn't see... Oh, if, unless I like, you know, tilted my head completely down to the floor, I couldn't see my guitar. So I had to, you know, I, as a musician, you try to learn to play without looking at the guitar the whole yeah. time, you know, but you, you, there was no choice. So I had to learn how to play. And that's really ambitious stuff. You know, it's metal, it's speed metal. So I'm playing solos and all this stuff. So it was really hard. And then you just, it's 60 pounds of hot rubber. And you, you know, there'd be clubs and it wasn't always well ventilated and you would just pass out. I passed out so many times. Vomit, you know, it's the, it was the worst. Everyone's still cheering now as you Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. They think it's a part of the show. <laughs> exactly. And it smells terrible. You just, you, you, you break out and like, I would get this like skin rash and just, oh, it's disgusting. spoke about the kind of the drug abuse that was happening in Gwar and obviously you said about David sadly passing away from a drug overdose. Someone who has like straight edge morals and beliefs. Yeah. Being in a band is like a family. You're around sure. each other all the time. How do you remove yourself from that situation? Because obviously now you're in a band where about bar one, we yeah. all kind of have the same like uh, beliefs in, in the straight edge culture. So like, how do you do that? Well, to be clear, not everyone in Rise Against the Straight Edge. It's never been... Rise Against has never called itself a straight edge band. Yeah. You know, uh, there are members of the band that have never drunk, smoked, drank, or drugs. For me, it was a very personal issue. My parents smoked, drank, and did, did drugs. My brother and I decided not to do it. It had... And we didn't even know there was a straight edge movement at the time. We were from Texas. We didn't, you know. Then somebody introduced us to Minor Threat. I'm like, whoa. Again, there is this fraternity of people somewhere that 
live the way we do. But for me, being from Texas, it is such a part of the culture. Drinking and beer and booze and you know, all that, you know. I say that with my Texas accent because that's how you say it. You know, smoke pot, you know, like get fucked up. And um, it's a big part of Texas culture. So it never was, it would have been clapping with one hand to try to get somebody else to live their life the way I did. So I, I did try to accept. It wasn't about them. It was no. about me. I wanted to... You know, this was for me. It was my own health choice. It was, I knew I wanted to tour and be a professional musician. I knew that didn't work out very well. But I also knew it was a constant temptation. It was going to be everywhere. I better try to abstain and hold on. So once I figured out there was a thing called straight edge, I was like, oh, that's really cool. But then I realized there was real pitfalls with that too. You know, the people could be fucking assholes with that shit, judgmental. And it was, you know, for me, it was all about self-love and self-preservation and self-care, not about hating somebody else because maybe they wanted to live their life a certain way. And then beyond that, maybe they were sick. You know, I, I don't think drug use or drug abuse or drug addiction uh, you know, a lot of times it's not a choice. It is a fucking sickness. Yeah. Um, so it was a real problem. And and again, I just always, always did it for myself. So being in Guar, I had never partook. So it wasn't like an odd thing. I was always the guy that was like, well, why don't you fucking smoke some, dude? You know, like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Um, but there was also, I hadn't seen it at that level. It got excessive. And then it became a personal career choice for me. Like I always knew this is what I wanted to do and I didn't want anything to get my way. And the shows were starting to suffer. The creative output was starting to suffer. The sort of forward momentum was starting to suffer. And I didn't want to stick around for it. And it took 10 years, but he died. You know, it killed him. And I saw that. And it killed Corey before that, you know. So it just, I saw those dominoes uh, falling. You know, and it's just not something I wanted to stick around for. And it was a really tough decision. I mean, I was a fucking like 26-year-old kid at the time. You know, I had nothing to go to. Nothing. I was going to go back to day jobs, you know, which for a musician is hell. You know, if you've, if you've made a living not doing that, you know, if you've made a living playing, that's, that's the brass ring. It's all you want. It's all I've ever wanted. It's, you know, I was like, I can just, I'll rent apartments for the rest of my life. I'll sleep on floor. I don't care. I just don't, you know, I want to be a musician. And I had that. And I quit because, you know. I just, I just saw where it was going. Well, you went and did other, other kind of jobs and then other, other, I'm, I'm very much skipping over things just because of time. But, right. um, so, so yeah, you end up becoming the fifth guitarist for Rise yeah. Against. And like, how does that feel coming into a band that's already quite established, playing venues like this? Yeah. And, and they're already on their fifth guitarist. You're coming in. How quickly do you feel part of the family and how quickly do you start putting in your own ideas? So I'm going to guess you kind of Hanging back a little, little bit, getting the vibe of everyone in in, in the band, yeah. and then slowly you start pushing your own ideas. Well, they had had a few guitar players, and you know they had had three guys that had recorded. So Chris had done two records, Todd had done one, and Dan had done one. But I toured with them in a band called Only Crime. That was with Bill Stevenson and my brother, actually, a Bill that produces our records from Descendants, and you know, and. Being the musician I am, I, I observed them. I never thought they had the right guitar player. I'd seen them with their other incarnations as well. And it just never seemed like the right guy. So I was already sort of prepping, you know, after we toured with them. Because I could tell it wasn't working out with their guy. And trying to figure out what made them tick. Yeah. You know, I've always had a very analytical mind when it comes to music. And 
and going, okay, I see this guy does this this way, this guy does this this way. He isn't paying attention to the way he is phrasing or he is phrasing or, you know, whatever it might be. And so I already started, started sort of planning that in my head. But we also hit it off as just human beings. When we had been in the same room before me with any of them, we hit it off as if I had been in the band the whole time. So that was very, you know, um, important to... Because a lot, I mean, 80% of it out here is shit, 90%. It's do you get along? Can you be in the same room? Can you live in close quarters? You know, you're living in a bus most of the time. And we did. We clicked. We got, you know, I have a very special friendship with each member of the band. My own friendship that is autonomous to that person, you know. So I already felt like I had a place with them. Um, So really early on, I think they were just relieved to finally have a guy that was going to stick around. Yeah. You know, that was that was really happy to be there and was really doing his homework because I really was. I was really studying this band. It was like a collegiate course and what made the guitar playing special about this band. And then finding my own space in that. And then, like you said, trying to to find my own voice, which was another important thing, because it was such a defined sound at that point. They had like such their own thing, you know, there were four records in, they had had a huge record, you know, was, I joined during Suffer and the Witness, which was huge for the band, uh, like halfway through that touring process. So then it was about, okay, why am I here? What, what can I bring to this? And that took a while, but I was up for the challenge, you know, and they, and they, to their credit, were very willing to let me explore that and do that as long as I retained what made it special in the first place. Well, you've spoken very openly about like your your love for the band and particularly Tim's writing. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I think, I think you've even called him a genius. I, I absolutely is. Writing. I, I stand by that. So, Hero of, Hero of War is still, for me, one of the most haunting songs. A hero of war. Yeah, that's what I'll be. And when I come home, they'll be damn proud of me. I'll carry It's a flag that I love And a flag that I trust I kicked in the door I yelled my commands The children, they cried But I got my man We took him away A bag over his face From his family and his friends They took off his clothes They pissed in his hands I told them to stop But then I joined in We beat him with guns And batons not just once But again and again A hero But you've also spoke about yourself enjoying writing as well. Yeah. What What have you learned from Tim? Oh man, I mean, it's it's invaluable. You know, he. I've learned 
song structure, really. You know, I've never been a lyricist, but I've always been amazed with what he can do with sort of a, the standardized rock and roll song structure format, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus out. Um, I've been a complete student of the guy. I'd studied his writing. You know, he's by far the best songwriter I've ever been in a band with and singer and lyricist. Uh, he just, he's very good at music. <laughs> you know, Bill Stevenson said that once and it's the truth. So I consider myself very lucky to sort of learn from the guy and to, to absorb that. And then, you know, trying to find out what like, again, you know, with writing, not just guitar playing, if, if I'm going to try to bring something in, it sounds like Rise Against, but I'd like to bring something in that, that, that is also true to me as well. This band has such a sound. Tim has such a thing that he does. Uh, and then finding out what made him tick, like the songwriters he enjoyed and the songwriters he loved. And, you know, like there's a, there's a good share of older Goo Goo Dolls in Rise Against and certain people don't know that. And you listen to it like, oh shit, there's that song. There's that style. There's that structure. All those things, you know, and I still figure stuff out now, even after being in the band for 16 years, that's, that's mind blowing, you know? You're in the van. Who who who's picking the music? And also, what's the most surprising song genre of music that's being played in the band? We have a very eclectic music sense in this band. I mean, everyone loves metal. I will yeah. say that everybody. If you put in, you know, Dark Throne at any given time, we're all going to be stoked. Um, but a lot of classic stuff. A lot of Neil Young. You know, a lot of Beatles. A lot of. Uh, you know, there's people in the band that don't like the Beatles, which I don't understand that at all. But it's a big thing recently. People were pushing back on the Beatles and not enjoying the Beatles. I think anyone that pushes back on the Beatles is fucking wrong. I'm, I'm still of the opinion that Hell Scale was the first hardcore song. I agree. For me. That's I agree. Just, uh, yeah. If you don't like the Beatles, you're wrong. I'll just say it like that. I'll just put it out there. Shit, we were listening to some, like, because we were coming here, we were listening to a lot of British rap the other day. We were listening to Slow Tie and yeah. stuff like that. Um, just great stuff. Um, I've been on a Public Image Limited kick lately. Fuck. That's all I'm been listening to. I'm always on different kicks, though, yeah. you know. But uh, it's very eclectic. Rarely do we put in just punk rock. Yeah. People expect that of us, and we just, you know, it's you when, when, it, when it's what you do, you know. Tim is definitely a kid of the 90s, too. You know, a lot of Soundgarden, Nirvana, uh, Screaming Trees, things like that, and, and, and me as well. I love that stuff as well, you know. I do want to ask you this question because I think it's kind of on your vibe. Um, the, the centralization of ticket distribution. Yeah. So Ticketmaster um, and organizations like that. It's, it's come to fruition recently, especially in the punk community, because Blink-182 have gone on tour yeah. and the prices are quite high. As a band that kind of want to be uh, bringing the best show that you can to your audience, but for a reasonable price, how difficult is it to, to play now and set a reasonable ticket price when you've got essentially two organizations monopolizing the ticket industry. Yeah. Well, it's hard. I think the most important thing, and this sounds like I can't answer, but I think the most important thing is to just try to please yourself with your show because if you're pleasing yourself, chances are the fans listen to you for that reason and they come to your shows for that reason so they will be pleased it was well and, and really tune all that shit out as just the political sort of, you know, white noise that you can't really pay attention to because you have to just make the best records, the best songs, the best show. As long as you're doing that, and that, that sounds like a very generic answer, but it really is the truth. You know, with our band, we try to go on stage every night and appreciate every second of it and let the crowd feel that because we want them to come back. You know, unfortunately, they are. 
you know, um, it's weird coming over here because there's countries like Germany where we're huge and then we'll, you know, it's so varied. And so there's that too. It's like, you got to put on the same show, no matter if there's 500 people there or if there's 5,000, you know what I mean? Um, so you have to worry about those variables and things like that. You can't really bother yourself with, I do think that system is completely fucked, you know what I mean? And it sucks. And the fans are ultimately the ones that get sort of bent over about it. You know what I mean? It's just fucking terrible because they're the most important people really we wouldn't be i wouldn't be here talking to you if it wasn't for people showing up you know so yeah well nowhere generation two you just you just well came out in june uh so we'll quickly plug that but i also want to very quickly plug your podcast nowhere generation oh yeah uh, is you, it nowhere it's anti-heroes anti-hero uh, yeah 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 You're anti-heroes fine. You're so, fine. so yeah thank and, you very much I so i mean what what made you want to pick up a mic and and have a crack at podcasting i did a podcast with a guy named joseph Plummer. joseph Plummer is a like legendary drummer he played in modest mouse he played in the shins and now he plays in the cold war kids and he has a platform called ruinous media and he has his own podcast called uh road stories tour stories and i did that and at the end of the conversation it went really well and he was like man have you ever thought about doing a podcast well i had been doing one with one of my best friends a guy named mike weeby uh, he sings for a band called The Riverboat Gamblers. Him and I have a band called Dracula's. And it was basically just me and him talking shit to each other. You know, just Texas. He's from Texas, too. Just talking stupid shit. Joseph had heard it, and he pitched an idea. And he's like, have you ever thought about doing a podcast? And I'd had this idea, because I'm a guitar nerd. You know, I just, like, just subscribed to all the magazines. I play guitar all day. It's just what I do. And I was like, man, I would like to talk to guys that don't get enough guitar press and guitar exposure. Because it's always the same handful of guys on the cover of the guitar magazines and they're, they're fine, but I'm interested in, you know, guys that do very genre pushing, maybe self, you know, pushing uh, guitar playing and work and art, even if no one's listening, yeah, you know, even if they're not getting that exposure and I'd like to give them that exposure. Um, and, that's why it's called the anti-heroes. Now, the, na- the newest episode is Chris from Foo Fighters, who's been a friend for over 30 years now. And yes, he's in the biggest band in the world, but he doesn't, in my opinion, get enough respect and recognition for being the guitar player. It's like he's a member of the Foo Fighters, and that definitely overshadows everything as well. It should. But, you know, guys like Keith Levine from Public Image Limited, you know, who just passed away, um, uh, unfortunately. Um but those kinds of guys that are, they have their, they living in their own world and they're on their own island and they're going to stay there and they're going to keep doing their thing even if no one's paying attention. That's fascinating to me because why? Why are you doing it? You know, it's like the great artists, any of the great artists before they became, you know, maybe there's some artist that, you know, I've read stories about guys that were, you know, living in their own little, little apartment and they passed away and then they found this life's work of all this art. I just think that's fascinating without any sort of public interest or involvement or whatever, but they're still creating because they have to, not because, you know, it's just a compulsion and that in a musician, I've always thought it's just so interesting. And so I, I wanted to interview those guys. And so it's a very eclectic, varied. I happen to know a lot of, you know, all my friends and musicians and, you know, there's like Brian Baker from Minor Threat and Bad Religion and Stefan from The Descendants, but there's Michael Dirks from Guar. And then there's Ava Walker from The Black Tones, you know, a fairly new band. She's a young black female guitar player with very interesting perspective. 
uh, Dan Gallucci from Modest Mouse, you know, these people that might've been in huge bands, but they didn't get enough specific interest. So I just thought it'd be sort of an interesting, you know, podcast that at least I would be interested in. So, and it's been really successful. I'm real proud of it. Oh, good. Well, people go find it. Uh, I'm going to let you go to sound check. Okay. Zach, thank you very much for your hey, time, man. thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much to Zach for giving up his time to chat to me. Make sure you go check out his podcast, Antiheroes. Links can be found in the podcast description. You will also find a link to their newish EP, Nowhere Generation 2. Right, let's do the thank yous for the sponsors. Phantom Brewery Co. uh, and Dave Eats Mud for sponsoring this podcast. Just remember, you can be a sponsor of this podcast. We do not charge for sponsorship. It's a free uh, collective community system that we have here on the podcast. So if you're in a band or if you're in a brewery or if you've got a festival, uh, email punksandpubs at... forgot my own email uh, bunksandpubs at gmail.com if you want to know more about phantom brewery co's hop punk festival and how you can be a part of it please click the link in the episode description of this podcast the same can be said for dave eats mud's new ep links can also be found on the punks and pubs socials uh, that's at punks and pubs don't forget to go rate and review it all helps that's it for this show if you're going to a punk show and you see someone fall down you pick them right back up again until next time bye bye